And let's all stand, take out our Bibles, and turn to 1 John chapter 5. If you're new to Living Hope, we have been going through the book of 1 John, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are getting close to the end of this book, and Lord willing, I'll probably do 2 John and 3 John after 1 John. But today we are in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, and I'll be reading out of the ESV. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Say, overcomes the world. And this is our victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Say, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You may be seated. In John 16, verse 32, Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. It is no surprise that our world is in big trouble and going downhill really fast. The economy is horrible. Gas prices are over the top. Morality is contrary to God's word. Openness to Christianity is declining and political division is at an epic proportion. Families are struggling. Marriages are struggling. Addictions are on the rise. Depression, anxiety, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. Our world is in big trouble. The Bible says that as believers, we battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Be of good cheer. That's what Jesus said. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Now why could he say that? Because he overcame the world. And we learned earlier in 1 John chapter 4, I believe verse 17 or 18, it says, as he is, so are we in this world. So as he is, so are we in this world. He overcame the world. If he lives in you and I, then we can overcome the world. That's what the Word says, and that's what we're going to learn about today. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the world will overcome you. The only way that you and I can live as overcomers, according to this passage and others, is to make sure we are in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 says to examine yourselves and see if you're in the faith. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 13. Do we have it? Phyllis? 2 Corinthians 13 says, examine yourself. So there's a place for self-examination. We're not talking about over-navel-gazing introspection, but we are talking about biblical self-examination. Taking time to examine yourself. That's what the Word says. To see whether or not you are in the faith. 
even go so far as they test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? There's the key. The only way you and I can be an overcomer is if Christ is in us and having his way in us and through us. So before anything else today, we need to make sure that Christ is in you. And he says, test yourselves unless you fail the test. So this book of 1 John has been a great book about examining yourself. Because what have we seen in this book over and over and over? Evidences of a true believer. How do you know if you're truly saved? And this is so important today, is it not? Because you have many today claiming to be Christian, claiming to be a Christ follower, claiming they have eternal life, claiming that because their names are on a membership roster or they prayed a sinner's prayer, then they're, they've got their ticket to heaven. And yet, some of those people still get drunk on Friday nights, still live a sexually immoral life, not honest in their business, not treating their spouse with love and patience, not still having bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness in their heart, being materialistic and spending more money on luxuries than the gospel, yet they claim to be saved. Book of 1 John gives us evidences of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. We'll see four of those today. We've seen others in previous passages, and some of these overlap others, but the first is this. A true follower of Jesus believes in Jesus. Notice what it says in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now, it's very important that you understand what this word believe means in the original Greek. It's the word pistuo. Because we use the word believe in a very flippant way. I believe that the Braves are going to win the World Series again this year. I believe that um, by the fall, gas prices will come down. I believe, you know, we use this I believe, I believe, but it's, it's more of a I hope, <laughs> isn't it? That's really the way we use it. The word pistuo in the Greek, which is translated believe in the New Testament or faith, is a very different word. Let's first of all talk about what it doesn't mean. Biblical believe is not just going to church. How many remember the, the singer Keith Green? He was one of my favorites. If you're less than 40, you're probably younger than 40, you probably don't remember. Keith Green, you say, going to McDonald's or going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. <laughs> so believe is not just going to church. Second, it's not just a mere intellectual assent to facts about Jesus. Well, I believe he rose from the dead. I believe Jesus came. I believe he died. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he's the Christ. But it's just merely an intellectual assent to facts. What does James tell us? You believe God is one, you do well. The demons believe and shudder. Ooh, that's more than I can say for most Christians. The demons believe and shudder. They shudder, but they're not a Christ follower. They're not a Christian. So it's not just an intellectual assent to facts. It's not just agreeing to doctrinal things, as important as that is. Listen, you can be solid doctrinally and die and go to hell. Third, it's, it's not merely praying a sinner's prayer. As if that's your ticket to heaven, your stamp of approval. Jesus said, many will say to, to me on that day, Lord, Lord. But he will say, I never knew you. So this is what it doesn't mean. I always get a kick out of it, you know, not to, not to be too critical of a certain denomination, which I will not mention by name, but we receive Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so as members on profession of faith. 
Great. Profession of faith. That's just lip service. Could be. So what does biblical belief mean? Here's my definition, and I believe it's consistent with the word pistuo. It's wholehearted trust in Christ that results in action and a change of life. It's wholehearted trust in Christ alone for salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. We are justified by faith, wholehearted trust in Christ that leads to action and a change of life. Because in James it says faith without works is dead. Hebrews 11 defines faith, and for every one of those people in Hebrews 11, by faith, and it's they did something. It says, by faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Rahab hid the spies. Now listen, listen, we are not saying you are saved by good works or by doing action, but true faith will result in action. True faith, true salvation faith will result in good works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, listen closely. By grace you've been saved through faith. Then verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. True saving faith will lead to good works and a change of life. Now listen, you don't put the cart before the horse. The horse is faith. The cart is good works. You don't put the cart before the horse. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved by faith that produces good works. Because if you don't have a cart behind the horse, you don't have a horse that's alive. You have, a car, you have the horse of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, and that produces a change of life. So, if you claim to be a believer, if you claim to put your faith in Christ alone, yet there is no change or evidence in your life, you have reason to question whether you are truly born again. That's what the Bible would say. That's what 2 Corinthians 13 means when it says examine yourselves. So, if you claim to be a believer, if you've prayed a sinner's prayer, you may be a member of a church. You may have even been baptized. But there's no evidence of a change in your life. There is biblical reason to question whether you've truly been born again. Because Jesus says you can tell a tree by its fruit. Are you saved? Are you certain you're saved? This week I was working on my next book. It's going to be called Grow Up. And it's going to be a discipleship manual, literally taking somebody from a brand new believer all the way to a multiplying disciple maker. I'm writing it mostly for Africa, because the pastor there says, we're a mile long and an inch deep. We need discipleship materials. I think we're a mile long and an inch deep in this country too. But in the book, chapter two, because it's going to be three sections, section one for spiritual child, section two for the spiritual adolescent, section three for the spiritual adult, in section one for the child, chapter two, the gospel what it really means to be born again. And I say in this book, in this chapter, that I believe the missing component to the gospel in America is repentance. Repentance. And I say, we need 2020 vision. We've lost our vision. We've got blurred vision. We need 2020 vision. What is 2020 vision? Acts 20, verse 20 and 21. He preached repentance and faith in Jesus. Repentance is turning away from self-centered self-directed life to a Christ-centered, Christ-directed life. When Jesus called his disciples, he said, if any man is, wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's why I like to refer to a believer as a follower of Jesus. You begin at a point in time when you put your faith and trust in Christ alone, but it's a continual following which gives evidence in a changed life. 
Number two, one of those changes is this, you love others. It says right here in verses 1 and 2, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So you love others who've been born again. <laughs> and this we know that we love the children of God. Man, I know this in my experience. First 17 years of my life, went to church every Sunday. Why? Because my, my dad's a pastor, and I was pretty much drugged there. I didn't want to go. I just did it because that's what you do as the son of a preacher. You go to church. I didn't want to be with other believers. I had no desire. Then I got born again. Then I got saved. And all of a sudden, I wanted to be with believers. I wanted to be in a small group. I wanted to be discipled. Why? Because the God of love came inside of me, and all of a sudden, I realized I got brothers and sisters. I got real brothers and sisters. And so I was drawn to them, and I began to love people. Perfectly, of course not. Still working on that. But there, that was one of the first changes, two changes I saw immediately in my life. Number one is I began to have a hunger for God's Word, and I began to see it and read it in a way I'd never understood it before. Because it's a spiritual book. And only if you have the Holy Spirit can you really get it. And it became not just, not just this generic God's Word, it became His love letter to me. And I began to crave the Word of God within a week of getting saved. And I began to desire to be with other believers. So another sign of a true believer is they will love people. They'll love the body of Christ. John 13, 34. This is how they will know that you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. Number three, a true follower of Jesus lovingly obeys God. Verses 2 and 3. When we love God and obey His commandments, they go hand in hand. This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and then the, the, I love this next phrase, and His commandments are not burdensome. <laughs> Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And this is why I love using my house diagram for teaching a balanced Christian life. Obedience is what we're talking about. That's the tip of the house. That's the chimney where you, the others see the smoke come out, so to speak. But you, you, your obedience flows out of intimacy with God. Your obedience flows out of an accurate understanding of who God is. That's the foundation. You get into the house through Jesus. That's how you get born again. That's the cross. Once you get saved, you understand who you are in Christ, your new identity. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, you obey. But you don't turn the house upside down and make your obedience the foundation. The obedience flows out of intimacy with God, which is what all of the rest of the house is all about. Now, it's interesting because this word burdensome, it means a heavy weight. It's the same word used in the Gospels when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because he says, you put a heavy burden on other people. Remember that? The Pharisees taught, you got to obey more. You got to be better. You got to have your good deeds higher than your bad deeds, or God will never accept you. And they heaped these laws and burdens on people to weigh them down, and they never felt like they were good enough for God. Maybe that's the way you feel today. But now we know, do we not? The good news of the gospel of Jesus is that Jesus Christ fulfilled the law for us. He was the perfect righteousness of God. And when He died and shed His blood on the cross, 
He took all of your sin, all of those things that you did that offended God, every violation of the command of God, He took it, He bore it, He forgives it, and in Him we are righteous, we are accepted, and we are declared saints of God. Hallelujah. That's the good news. You ought to shout hallelujah about that. And so because we have been liberated from that burden of trying hard to be good enough for God, and we accept by faith the righteousness that's imputed to us by God, and we're accepted, we are loved, we're declared forgiven, we are clean in His sight, we now have the conviction of righteousness, now our obedience, listen, our obedience is not to earn His favor. It's not to be good enough to be accepted. Our obedience is because we are good enough in Christ to be accepted. Our obedience is because He loves us unconditionally. And so therefore we want to obey the One who gave His life for us and has given us a new nature. There's a huge difference, an enormous difference, obedience that flows out of love for God. I know this just a little in my marriage. Because I love Dee Dee with all my heart, I want to do things that please her. Listen, I don't wake up every morning and have to follow a list of 20 things to do to be a good husband. Oh my God. I did two yesterday, I did four yesterday. Oh, I missed all these others. Oh, I gotta try. I gotta carry that card in front of me all day long about what to do to, to, to show that I'm a good husband to Didi. No. I focus on a relationship, fostering that intimate, close, growing relationship with Didi. Man, the good works follow. I want to do things that please her because I love her. That's the way God wants your relationship with Him to be. So listen, if obedience is a burden, then you need to back up and focus on your intimacy with Jesus. If obedience is a burden, don't try harder to be obedient. That will never produce what God wants. If you, because if you are, that'll be self-righteous obedience, and you'll take credit, and that makes you even that sends you even down. The downhill more quickly. If you don't obey, you feel like a failure, the enemy will beat you up, and that'll never motivate you to obey more, and you'll just throw in the towel. So if your obedience is a problem, you don't try harder to be more obedient. You focus on your relationship with Jesus. You focus on the bottom of the house. Get to know God. Understand the gospel. Grasp your identity in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, and the obedience will flow. I'm telling you right now, that'll happen. Because if you love me, Jesus said, you will obey my commands. It'll just happen. He didn't say, if you love me, you'll try harder to obey. <laughs> he said, if you love me, you will. It'll flow. And that's the beautiful thing about relationship versus religion. All right, number four, and this is what you really came for today, I hope. A true follower of Jesus overcomes the world. Look carefully at verses 4 and 5. Notice three times the word overcome is used. Everyone who has been born of God, born again, so you have the indwelling Holy Spirit in you, overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it? <laughs> I love it. I wish we had the emotion of John as he wrote this. Like, who is it that can overcome the world? I mean, it's, it's hard to overcome the world, right? But here, here's the one who does it. 
the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now the word overcome, again used three times, is the word subdue, prevail, conquer. Guess what it is in the Greek? Nikao. There was a Greek god named Nike. Yeah. Came from this word. So you create a tennis shoe and a t-shirt and a hat (laughs) that people think, man, if I just wear the Nike shoe, I'm going to prevail, overcome, conquer. Some do, some don't. But at least they think they will. And here we're told the secret of overcoming. What is it? Faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world. And that's in the present ongoing tense. Continually overcoming. Because we're continually challenged. Living in a sinful world. Faith. We're not talking about a faith in faith. We're not talking about a faith that you know, repeats the right words and has some magical formula. We're not talking about prosperity theology. We're not talking about, you know, name it, claim it to possess it for materialistic reasons and selfish pleasures. Not at all. We're talking about true biblical faith that's kingdom-focused, God-focused, and takes His Word and declares it. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The key to triumphant faith is the Word of God. And the key to getting the Word of God working for you, I believe, is speaking it out loud. 2 Corinthians 4 and 13 is a verse that's been really hitting me lately. It says, we believe, therefore we speak. And I believe there is power in speaking the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he could have been overcome by those temptations, but rather he overcame the temptation. How? It is written. It is written. It is written. Every time he was tempted, he came at those temptations speaking out loud the Word of God. Now, we do not speak things into reality. This is where I believe this teaching gets very, just goes off track a little with the name it, claim it, prosperity camp. Number one, they get off in motive. It's often materialistic, and it's about me versus God. But also, there's this, this idea that if we just say the right words and we can speak things into reality. No, only God creates reality. But we can bring into our experience His reality, find, t- find difference, by speaking the Word of God. I want to make this today as practical as possible. Um, Jeff, can you help me? Can you bring out the chair? This would help. I just kind of want to do a fireside chat for a few minutes. Pretend you're in my living room. And we're just talking. This would be like our home groups in the fall. This is, hey, here you go, Brooks. Didn't do this in the first service. So you, you get in a home group in the fall based upon where you live. And that's our vision. Thank you. And one of the things about these home groups is you're gonna, you don't have to create a lesson if you're a leader. You just discuss the sermon. And man, today is a perfect example. You take this message. And you start talking about it in the living room together with your small group. How do you guys overcome the world by the things that that we learn Sunday from the message? And I'm just going to give you four examples, okay? Then I'm going to open it up. You guys can throw out others. How do you do it with this area? We had some good ones in the first. So so get ready. First one, how do you do this? Let's begin with salvation because that's pretty important. So how do you know you're saved? How do you overcome the world making sure you're born again in terms of just salvation? Here's how it works. 1 John 5, we'll get to this in a couple of weeks. If you have the Son, you have eternal life, period. He who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. 
These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. He didn't say that you might hope you have eternal life. He didn't say that you might be 50-50 chance you have eternal life. No, that you know that you know that you know that you know. You should be 100% certain that you're saved today. Well, how do you know that? Well, it tells you right there in 1 John 5, you have the Son. Well, how do you get the Son? You invite Him in your life, you repent of your sins, you put your trust in Him alone. If you do that, He comes into your life. How do you know? I didn't feel anything when I prayed. I didn't see the heavens open and hear the hallelujah chorus. Doesn't matter. What does His Word say? His Word says in Revelation 3.20, if you open the door of your heart and invite Him in, He will come in. So how do you know He came in? Because He said He would. Ah. So God, I declare today and decree that I am saved because I've invited you in. I've repented of my sins. I've put my faith and trust in Christ alone. And I believe your word. I stand on your word, God. Thank you that I'm saved. Because I've believed in my heart and I've confessed. Ah, confess. Important to say it. Confess with your mouth and you shall be saved. And so you stand in that. You declare, you speak the truth out loud. That's how you overcome for salvation. All right, how about identity? Because this is a big one. Satan will come at you and accuse you, condemn you. He'll bring up things you did years ago that you feel horrible for. He loves to bring up your sins and try to beat you up and shame you. Or, hey, how about this? You're doing great one day. You're in the joy of the Lord. All of a sudden, you go to social media. And you see that friend of yours on that exotic vacation, and you know they're in debt. And you say, how could they do that? God, why are you blessing them? Lord, you didn't consult with me before you blessed them. That's not right. And all of a sudden, your joy just sinks, doesn't it? Because you start comparing yourself to others on social media. And when you compare, it's the biggest robber of joy because you will always be less than them in your eyes. Listen. If that robs you of joy, how about looking at it less and looking at God's Word more and looking at your identity more? And so you begin to look at God's Word, and He says you're righteous in His sight. That sin you've brought to the cross, it's forgiven. It's forgotten. It's thrown as far as the east is from the west. It is, it is thrown into the depths of the sea, and God put a no fishing sign up. Don't go fishing for sins that He's forgiven and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. So you start declaring your righteousness in Christ. You start declaring that 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf, that I might become the righteousness of God in him. You start declaring and decreeing Romans 5 and 17. Those who believe that they are in the righteousness of God will reign in life. God today, I am righteous in Jesus because of what the blood of Christ did. And you start speaking your true identity, you're going to be an overcomer. Another one, mistreatment. This world is full of being mistreated by others. Third one, mistreatment. Jesus said, you'll be hated, you'll be mistreated. People will lie about you, slander you, persecute you. That's what he said would happen. How do you overcome in those situations? Well, 1 Peter 2.24 says you don't retaliate. But you entrust yourself to him who judges justly. Huh. Romans 14 says you return evil with good. Ephesians 4.32 says you forgive those who hurt you as you've been forgiven. So you begin to go to God's word. You forgive those who mistreat you. You don't retaliate. 
You speak blessing. You pray for those who mistreat you, Jesus said. So you start doing this, and I'm telling you, those tentacles of bitterness don't attach to you. Those tentacles of, of resentment, they don't attach to you. You don't let them attach. Now, they come after you. The devil comes like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's after you and he's after me. And so those things come at us. Those are called temptations. You don't let them get to you. You speak God's truth and God's word. And that's how you're an overcomer. Fourth area. And then I'll just take any that come from the audience. Mm, sorry to bring this one up. Now you went from preaching to meddling, Pastor. <laughs> Lord, don't let me get political. Our economy is about the worst it's ever been. I don't see it getting any better. Gas prices have hit an all-time high, and I could go on and on. This country's a mess. So with that, did I say anything political? I don't think so. With that comes what? Ooh, I can't afford to put you first in my finances, God. Milk prices, egg prices, gas prices, I can't afford to tithe. And so we're tempted. We're tempted to resort to the flesh and disobey God's word. Last I checked, Malachi 3 did not have as a footnote, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, except when gas prices are high. I don't think any Bible says that. <laughs> so God's word is true, regardless of the economy. And this is where faith is tested. This is where your faith is on trial. Will I obey God with my money, giving him the first fruits, even though it doesn't look like I can afford it and the economy is really tanking? God, I'm going to trust you. You said, test you in this. You said, if I bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, you will bless. You will prevent pest from devouring my crops. That car that has 300,000 miles, might go 380,000 miles because God keeps pests from devouring your crops. I don't know how he's going to do this for you, but I know this. He's true to his word. He's not a liar. And when we put our faith in his promises, we see God show up and show off, and it builds our faith, and all of a sudden, man, we reach whole new levels in our sanctification. What a privilege it is. All right, what are some others? What are other areas where easy to be overcome by the world? And, and I'll try to apply faith to that area. Your health. Great one. Ooh, I like that. Because by his stripes we're healed. By the stripes of Jesus, he not only died for sin, he died for sickness. And I can prove that in Isaiah 53 and Matthew chapter 8. Does that mean he heals every sickness? No, but the first thing I ought to do when I get sick is go to God. Ask for healing. Get others to pray for me. Because Jesus' ministry often included healing. What if you're not healed? And I've said this before. You'll never be healed of everything. Because if you could, then you would live forever. And that's definitely not biblical. <laughs> that was one of the lies in the garden, is that you could live forever. So if we could be healed of everything, then we'd never die even of old age. Because old age includes something physical that takes your life. Right? And so if you're not, and at first I'm saying, believe God, trust God, pray for healing. But if you're not, then what? Can you still live as an overcomer? Absolutely. Paul prayed three times that the thorn would be removed and it wasn't. And he said, he heard from God, my grace is sufficient, power is perfected in weakness. And so either way you win. And bottom line, he will heal you, if not on earth, in heaven for sure. 
Sometimes on earth, always in heaven. So either way, you come out awesome. You come out triumphant when you trust God. Another one. Marriage. What's more, more specific? You're, you don't have the perfect marriage? <laughs> Are you willing to be even? No, I, mean, I don't want to pry too much, but... Okay, so, so, no, but if you want to give an example, maybe not. Yes, every marriage will have a struggle, have struggles. Okay, let's take this one. I'm not saying this is what you're offering, but, but I think this is a common one as I've experienced in pastoral counseling is when, when one spouse doesn't treat them the way they think they deserve to be treated, they feel, they feel not loved well by their spouse. And so they begin to build up resentment. And they begin to get on that love and respect, ugly cycle, where if she's not loving me, then I'm not going to respect her. If she doesn't respect me, I'm not going to love her and vice versa. And so what happens is you resort to the flesh. Again, you've got this flesh-spirit battle. I can go to the flesh. She's not treating me good, so I'm not going to treat her good. Or you can say, what does God's Word say? I'm to love my wife as Christ loves the church. Ooh, does the church always treat Christ well? No. Does that change Christ's love for the church? No. So God, I need to know how to supernaturally love her when I'm not getting treated the way I think I should be. She's not meeting my needs. I'm going to even go more out of my way to meet her needs. That's what Jesus does. Now, the only way you can do that, and that's Ephesians 5, 21 to 31. What came right before Ephesians 5, 21? Ephesians 5, 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> The only way you and I can do this is in and through and by the power of God's supernatural Holy Spirit. So you say, God, fill me with your spirit that I might love my wife as Christ loves the church. And you speak that, and you speak that, and you speak that until it becomes reality in your life. All right, another one. These are good. Loneliness. Ooh, that's really good. You're feeling lonely. And yet you remember that Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now I know that it's tough because we all want Jesus with skin. And that's what the body of Christ is for. So there's a couple principles that play into this. Number one, affirming to yourself that Jesus has not left you. He's with you always. But that's sometimes not tangible. So what does he say we do? We do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So we make sure that we are availing ourselves of biblical community called the church. So if that person is lonely and they're never with other believers, I want to say you need to be with other believers. If you will step out in faith and spend time with other believers, it may actually help this and it may be the way God wants it to help this. But ultimately, it's affirming that he's always with you. And you may feel alone, but you're not alone. And that takes faith to declare that and walk in that. One or two more. Give me an example of maybe being deceived. Ooh. It could be a girl if you're a guy. You know, you got to be afraid of COVID. You better get that shot. Stuff like that. All right. So the world is coming at us with certain messages that create fear. 
or deception, whether it's gender identity, whether it's COVID, whether it's sexual morality that would say, as long as you love the person, it's okay to have sex, whether with the same gender or even opposite gender. So let's make sure we apply the sexual immorality all, all across the board. Great example, because if you allow those lies, and that's what they are, and so again, you, you take the thought, you take the belief, and you put it up against God's word. And we know that Satan is the father of lies. And this is why 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, and I love the NIV here, says we take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. I love that. You got to make your thoughts obey Christ, which is why you take a deception, you take a struggle, you take a fear, you take whatever it is that can overcome you. You put it up against God's word. And if you don't have the scriptures for this, go to a trusted brother or sister in Christ who can give you scriptures. That's why the body helps here. Say, man, I need a verse for this. I need some truth about this. You go to that and you say, this is what God's word says. And I'm telling you, 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 feel, you feel it in your emotion when you do this. You do. But it begins in your thoughts. Thoughts always precede emotion. You don't change your emotion by trying to feel different. You change your emotion by changing your thinking. That's why it says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, Romans 12. You change your thinking. You put your thinking in line with God's word and your feelings come behind that. You'll start feeling joy. You'll start feeling faith. You'll start feeling confidence. You'll start feeling peace instead of anxiety. But if you're listening to the world, if you're listening to social media, if you're listening to the news more than God's Word, no wonder you don't have peace. No wonder you don't have victory. No wonder you're living in fear and anxiety. But you get God's truth. You start believing it. You start speaking it against those situations. Man, it makes a difference. And this is how you live as an overcomer. Jerry. Hallelujah. Say it again. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Say it again. Paul said, I've been young, now I'm old. I never seen a righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Not only begging bread, begging for nothing. God don't like us begging because he's our God. Amen. Come on now. Well, yeah, preach it. Hey, Jerry, in the famous words of Jerry Pierre, you better say it. Some of you haven't been here long enough to hear Jerry say that in the middle of my messages. I've been missing that. You need to, say, you need to be doing that more often. <laughs> Fires me up. You better say it. All right, over here. Right in front of you. There you go. Ronnie. Uh, we're told uh, to love one another and to love ourselves. This morning... Uh, you said just love other believers. What about the unbelievers? Certainly you do that too. I'm just, uh, it, the context of 1 John is believers. But absolutely, we're to love all people. Love unbelievers as well. Even love our enemies. So yes. And it's interesting you mentioned love others as you love yourself. Proper self-love is rooted in loving yourself based upon who you are in Christ. It's not a selfish, prideful, fleshly, I'm so great, I'm so great. You know, no, it's in Christ, I'm loved. In Christ, I'm accepted. In Christ, I'm righteous. In Christ, I'm pure in His sight. In Christ, I can come boldly before the throne of grace. So proper self-love is always rooted in our identity in Jesus. All right, worship team.
Come on up. Yes. Unbelief, specifically like about what? Okay. Well, yeah. So if there's unbelief about God, you're talking about an unbeliever. As a Christian, the devil's attacking gotcha. and God does not exist. And, but you've seen God's Oh, okay. Gotcha. Years, but you're doubt. Okay. So you're a believer. You've seen God work. And yet the enemy comes in and tries to convince you that God's not real or you just made this up, or the gospel's not true, and so he's attacking you as a believer about the very fundamental issues of the house diagram. Again, that's where you go back. That's why that house diagram to me is so helpful. You need in your spiritual arsenal, in your spiritual belt, hand grenades, knives, uh, glocks, uh, you need, a, you need a, a, a wide variety. Boy, interesting I'm saying this to you, isn't it, brother? Because you work for a scope company. <laughs> Night vision scopes, right? Oh, wait. I thought that's... That's Austin. I'm sorry, where's Austin? Is he here? Gotcha. Okay, it's confusing the two. That's right, you're our HVAC guy. All right, in any case, so that's your, that's your job. You need, a, you need a wide variety of arsenals, spiritual arsenals. Verses and truths about who God is that you can declare when those, when those doubts come. Verses and truths about the gospel of Jesus. Because the world's going to say what? There's many roads to God. You don't have to come through Jesus. All roads lead to God. You know, it's universalism. And so you need verses like, John, but, John, but Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. John Acts 4 and 12 says, there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And then verses about your identity. Verses about the Holy Spirit. So that's why having truths about every layer of the house diagram is so practically helpful. Because you're right. Those, those lies from the enemy will typically come about who God is, the truths of the gospel, and your identity. Good question. Well, Father, we thank you for your amazing word. We're reminded that John 8 and 32 says, the truth will set you free. And God, I pray today in the name of Jesus that we would be set free by the truth of your word. That you would give us the grace to stand upon it. That we would be the body of Christ that helps each other with truths that can combat the lies and the attacks of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Listen, if you're here today and you're not certain of your salvation, repent of your sins. Put your trust in Christ alone. Receive Him in your life. Invite Him to come in and take control and He will do that and save you. You can be born again today. Don't leave here uncertain of your salvation. Find somebody to pray with if you need to. Come to me and I'll pray with you. And all of us, maybe identify one area in your life where you're not presently living as an overcomer. Write it on your notes. Begin to get scriptures that you can speak out loud concerning those areas, that area of your life. God, I pray your grace now upon your people. I pray this week, in every situation in which we are tested, we will rise up with your word and declare it and see you be faithful and strong on our behalf. I'd like to ask our prayer team now to take their places.
you would like prayer from anybody, I encourage you right now to get up. Right now, get up. Go to somebody on the prayer team. This next song that Brian's going to do is another one he wrote. And I encourage you just to remain seated. Let it wash over you. Let the words and the truths just wash over your spirit. And at the point at which you are ready to begin to sing it from your heart, then you can stand. But initially, let's just remain seated and, and let the truths of this song just be encouraging. Again, if you need prayer, right now, I encourage you to get up. Get prayer from somebody. Lord, we thank you again. We praise you for your mighty spirit, your great love for us. Lord, we desire with all our heart to be in this world as you are. You said in this, you, as, as he is, so are you in this world. Jesus was an overcomer. And might we, through the power of your Holy Spirit, the truths of your word, live as overcomers for your glory.